this is another lovely episode of the Tech Edition podcast. Um, I am here joined by my cohort, partner in crime, brother, friend, Clarence. How's it going, man? It's going good, man. I love to be a, co- a cohort, as it were. Uh, yeah, I'm feeling that, I think. <laughs> What's going on, man? Um, nothing, nothing much. I just hope that word thinks what I think it thinks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you and me both. You and me both. Um, but yeah, yeah, cool. I'm doing good, man, and hope you're doing the same. Cool. Um, yeah, so, um, let's, oh, do you want to do any plugs, any shout outs before we start, or should we just jump right into it? Ah, save them to the end. Save them to the end. Let's just jump right into it. Cool. So, um, start off with, um, I, I saw you posted this in our channel, and I, um, I saw this, but I didn't really, you know, check it out. So I'd love for you to, you know, do a little discussion on the Intel glasses, um, because it, they look a lot more stylish than the old Google goggles. So, or Google lens, I can't remember what it was called, but yeah, what you got? Yeah. So these glasses, excuse me, give me one second. So these glasses are actually, if you go to the verge, you can they have a, a full video about the glasses, but they actually are pretty much, they're made to be the simplified, non um but xenophobic is not the word non technophobic <laughs> uh version of google glass okay there's a few differences these glasses do not really have a camera on them so well a camera to where you can take pictures that i know of i think they're mainly made for notification consumption and directions and things like that so they're taking this vastly different approach to make them look more normal and they're actually developed by intel which is pretty cool and, nice. and, and yeah, it's, it's a different take on the whole wearable glasses thing. So, um, you, you mentioned that it doesn't have a camera. So does it actually project something on the lens for that only you can see or like, how do they work? Okay. Let, let me, uh, not get this wrong. I'd use retinal projection. So to display oh. it in your eyeball. So it's using some type of laser to actually, okay. uh, display the information. And it's kind of cool because the information is kind of sort of like a notification on your PC. It's like down in the corner. Mm-hmm. So you actually, um, you know, you have to look down to see it. And when you look up, it, it like fades away. So I think it's a pretty cool thing if they keep it simple. Uh, you know, again, like anything, it could be the ultimate distraction, but, but, you know, I, I would like to see them keep developing this technology. And try to, you know, move that forward because Google Glass is a good idea. Um, like most things, people just probably weren't ready for it when we first got it. But um, I believe these are going to be just as expensive <laughs> or maybe even more uh, yeah. as Google Glass. But, you know, good to see them trying to move the technology forward because, you know, it's going to happen eventually. And Intel might as well be the company to to push it forward. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. Cool. Um. Yeah, I could see how this would be very useful. And the thing for me is, you know, like they mentioned in Article Zero, social cost. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, whenever I um, I was working at this company called Cerner, which is a big company in Kansas City, when um, I moved the, moved here. And um, there were numerous people walking around with Google Ads. Oh, really? On, <laughs> and it was always just the weirdest thing. I would be like, um, yeah. And you I'm filming you, would, you. <laughs> you would you would you would subconsciously like avoid them. You know how like the 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 sweet old ladies, if there's a thug riding riding uh, walking down the street, they like may go to the other side of the, the street. By thug, you mean black person? <laughs> I was not going to say that, but <laughs> I'm just saying there there was that there was that gut wrenching like uh let me go this way no nah, i feel you yeah i feel you like yeah, I mean, nobody it, wants to be recorded while they're being casual and 
don't know. You know what I'm saying? I mean, well, they tried to do, to do things with the original Google Glass to try to prevent some of this. They put what a red light sort of like a, a real video camera does to show you it's recording. So they definitely tried to do things to make it a little more palatable. But but still, I mean, people are often uh, technophobes about, you know, being recorded, being listened to. And I could definitely see the stigma. But I mean, with these glasses, um, they definitely the, the Vaunt glasses from Intel. They very they very much look like the normal glasses you would see uh, anywhere. You know, there's there's not much difference from the look and feel of them. And, you know, I think that's what you have to do. Let the technology kind of blend into to uh what we already have to make it a little bit more accepting cool all right cool so um i guess moving on uh i know you watched the falcon lunch was that this previous week that there was a falcon lunch was that like uh, monday yeah was it the it week was, before maybe i'm being late here it, it, it's been in the the last week and a half i believe but yeah yeah cool. i saw it what, what you think of it man um, honestly, I thought it was pretty amazing. Just to me, the launch in itself wasn't that amazing. Cause I mean, I've seen a bunch of rocket launches, but to me, the thing was the, the booster rockets like landing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, that was the whole cool. like precision. It's like they're barreling towards earth and then there's a sonic boom. They flip around and then they just like lower themselves onto the platform. Yeah. I thought that was, that, that, that was, was just. Amazing. Dude, that was just freaking majestic, dude. I mean, I mean, you said the the launch itself wasn't that impressive, but I don't know. Uh, I felt a little bit like Snoke, uh, raw, untamed power. Uh, what is the Falcon Nine Heavy or the Falcon Heavy? I think they renamed yeah. it. But but mm-hmm. yeah, man, it's just like freaking phenomenal to to see the private space industry um, bubble up and 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 try to take us in a new path where uh, you know we can reach for the stars once again. But uh, totally agreed on the landing of the two booster rock- rockets. Uh, that was freaking amazing. It was amazing. If you, if you don't watch the video, but just for that, you will be, uh, greatly, uh, enthused because it is phenomenal. It was like something out of like a sci-fi movie. Really? I I never thought that I would actually see something like that, like really happen. (laughs) But, um, as, as awesome as the Falcon Heavy launch was, um, SpaceX, the reason I bring it up is because they all, they have a couple big things planned for this year that you may or may not know about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just kind of wanted to go over some of those. Um, so they're going to be launching their first crewed flight. Um, not crewed as in like bad, but crewed as in people on, <laughs> <laughs> they're doing a, they're doing an orbit, um, a orbital flight, I guess, um, orbital launch with, um, a manned spacecraft called the SpaceX Crew Dragon. Um, that's going to be scheduled for later this year, I think. So it's really, really, I think it's really interesting to see them moving in the manned flights. You know, this may bring us one step closer to the whole Mars mission thing. So, you know, that, that's one thing. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that, manned flights? Um, I mean, it has to happen. Um, I think that, I mean, I'm glad they're taking baby steps because, uh, it, it's sort of like with the whole drivers, driverless car thing. You don't want anything bad to happen to like derail the whole trajectory of the project. So, I mean, just take their time. You know, when they think they're ready for a crude, uh, flight, you know, let's wait and just do it right and make sure every, uh, all the, uh, uh, eyes are dotted and T's are crossed and, you know, just make it, make it a success, which I think, you know, they've been SpaceX and as well as Blue Origin has done so far to, to try to push things along. But yeah, man, I'm, I'm ready for it. Um, Again, it has to happen, and if we just do it right, you know, I mean, the sky's the limit, pun intended. 
<laughs> cool. And um, <clears throat> I guess the other major thing would be the second Falcon Heavy launch, which will be in June. And um, it's going to be carrying a few interesting payloads. Um, the first one is a is it a deep space atomic clock. So basically, what this thing is is, from what I understand, is exactly what it sounds like. It's a <laughs> atomic clock that is flying through space that oh, wow. any kind of satellites or you know if any kind of spacecraft. It, it's supposed to keep hyper accurate time, um, so any spacecraft can check it uh, for nav- navigational purposes or whatever. And um, Sweet. the other the other thing that they're going to be doing, um, which is really interesting, is the whole light sail. The second version of light sail will be launching, which is a pretty much what it sounds like as well. It's a pr- prototype solar sailing spacecraft, um, and you can see. I think it's planet. If you go to planetary.org, there's actually a page about it, and it actually looks really, really cool. So um, that's that- definitely something. I'm sorry, go ahead. Is that the one that you're supposed to be using that ion technology, ion engine technology, or is it something totally different? I believe so. I believe it is using some kind of ion. In it. I, to be completely honest with you, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm, I, that sounds about right. Cool, cool. Yeah, <laughs> but, definitely um, check that out. That will, The second version of that will be launching um, with the Falcon Heavy, the second Falcon Heavy launch in June. So um, if you go to the, like I said, to planetary.org, there's a page for it and there's actually an animation. So you can kind of see exactly what the craft looks like. And you know, it, it, it's, it's a really interesting concept. You know, I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes. And apparently they, Bill and I is like a spokesperson for it. So oh, I mean, yeah. it's, it, it is actually a really, really cool concept. And I, the design is really, really interesting. So definitely check it out. Oh man. There's, um, uh, you remember Robert Picardo or the Dr. EMH from, uh, Star Trek Voyager? Yeah, yeah, the doc. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah uh, he does something called the Planetary Post, which is, um, I guess it's a weekly, but uh, it's a little, seems like it's a little more sporadic, but he does a show where he talks about space updates and stuff. And if you don't want to watch the show, just go watch the intro. I swear you will laugh your tail off because, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to give it away. You just have to watch it and, and trust me, you, you will get a good kick out of it, but it's, it's pretty funny. But oh, right now. Yeah, but yeah, just to piggyback a little bit off of our discussion of the the Vaunt cl- glasses uh, wearables, so you might want to watch going to China because uh, police are using uh, similar technology for uh, facial recognition um, in China, which is just kind of kind of scary. But um, you had to see it coming in a, in a large sense. Yeah, this thing freaks me out. I mean, it freaks me out that they do this at airports because okay, so. Uh, um, one of the Amazon keynotes from reInvent, they had, they had this NSA person on and she was discussing how they use machine learning and all these different technologies to recognize when somebody like walks into a, um, airport or they're walking through security, how eventually you will, you won't have to show your passport. You won't have to show any kind of ticket. You just walk oh. through security wow. and they know who you are just by, you know, your biometrics and from all the data that they have. And I, it, the, the fact that they could have this on the street just really, really freaks me out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but think of it even now, man, like with, I mean, even the old, what, five year ago, Google Glass paired with Facebook, you could pretty much recognize, you know, anybody in your friends list just by, you know, pointing the glasses at them and hitting a button, you know. It's it's technologically possible even with Google Glass, so I can definitely see police utilizing this. But by the same token, again, just to the point with Google Glasses in general, it's creepy. 
But I mean, even yeah. to 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 a larger point, I mean, it's going going into the space of surveillance, uh, data collection, uh, profiling, which um, any regime that's doing that, which America is doing it too. Don't get me wrong, um, is just kind of scary. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, Big Brother just got a little bigger. <laughs> he ain't stopping no time soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, that's that's really freaky. Um, Let's see. Um, moving on. Um, what should we talk about next? You want to talk about Uber? Uh, sure. Let's talk about Uber. Okay. So, um, you know, Uber is pretty much planning to take over the world. You know, <laughs> they've got their automated semi thing that's coming. They're really doing a lot with like self-driving cars. But you know, um, to to reference Star Trek, you know, the the actor who plays Cisco, Captain Cisco, <laughs> um, he had this commercial come out around you. The year 2000 is like, this is the year 2000. Where are the flying cars? Oh, you do a great Avery Brooks. I was promised, I was promised flying cars. And, um, <laughs> oh my God, like we, we finally may be getting there. Cause, um, <laughs> apparently Uber has got something called Uber Air. And basically they're going to be using rooftops to transport people in the same manner as you may hail a Uber, you know, on the street, but. You know, with aircraft, and there's a, um, this is a TechCrunch article, and there's actually a few concept designs of some of the aircraft they may use, and they look to be a hybrid between a helicopter and an airplane. You know, maybe some would even say a drone, but you know, a huge drone, maybe. Yeah. And the designs look really, really interesting. I mean, this just makes too much sense for them not to do. I never even this is something I would never even thought of, but this is probably the way you know air taxi as opposed to like car like small car that flies around you know more of like an air taxi type thing i think i think it's a really cool concept yeah i mean i totally get it it's definitely viable i mean definitely um inner city travel i mean uh, if you can knock off what an hour off somebody's journey and you can, ultimately i think the, the thing is to make it safe which this is arguably probably more safer or could be more safer safer uh more safe than a driverless car so, yes. <laughs> I mean, by, so the, by, by that token, you know, as long as we have the good, good laws in place to make sure, uh, we limit any accidents that might happen. And, you know, I think the, the value is definitely there if they can make it reasonably priced. But of course, the rich are going to be the people taking this up first, just like, uh, Tesla and it, all other things pretty much. Yeah. And, um, the trials aren't that far off either. Uh, it looks like the first test runs will be in Dallas and Los Angeles in 2020 so not that far away and um in 2023 they will be doing like the first commercial great flights so i mean this is this is like really 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 close um and it like i said it's not quite the flying car that we all <laughs> imagined but i can see how this could cut down on park people needing parking spaces yeah. cut down on emissions because these will be electric flying vehicles um you know just because the thing I think about is this. So we went to New York together. It was about 10 years ago. Yeah. And um, remember, we just drove into um Scranton. Was it Scranton, New Jersey? No, 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 no. We didn't go to Scranton. Scranton's in Pennsylvania. We went to, what is it? it was, what is the city I, in New Jersey that we went to? I, I can't remember. It. I can't remember it's, either. But somewhere just, in New Jersey. Newark, 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 New Jersey. So we when we went to New York, it was us and Jonathan Short. She was also on the STV podcast. Yeah. We went to, um, we drove to Scranton. Nah, Newark, New Jersey. <laughs> we we had our hotel there, and basically every day we would take a train over to Manhattan from Penn Station, 
over to Manhattan, come out up in the Madison, Madison Square Garden. And basically, you didn't need a car. I mean, yeah. that, I guess that's what I'm getting at is the city, the, the public transportation is so good that you really don't need a car in New York and you really don't want one because the traffic is so bad. But I can only imagine um, how how something like this could affect, you know, more spread out cities like like Dallas and Houston and Los Angeles, um, you know, because it may be possible in the future that you may not even need to own a car. I mean, I can even in Kansas City, you know, like if they started doing something like this, it would be very possible that, you know, I would need a car here. And I think that's really, really amazing that, you know, that they're going to links like this and it's not public transportation. It's private, but in the same way, it it'll make people's commutes a lot more convenient. So I'm really looking forward to seeing where this goes. Do Do you ever think it? Com- excuse me. Do you ever think it could come to a point to where they take this same basis for this technology and do it more on a mass transit basis? Uh, you know, of course, we started with trains. Well, I guess stagecoaches first, whatever. With trains for mass transit, and then you know that translated into subways and uh, trains going into cities, and also you have buses in cities. But do you think it could ever be a point where you get on one of these things, and instead of it being a personal transport like we see here in this uh, article, that it could be something like you see on Star Wars? Is this big thing that can carry a bunch of people, but it's electric and very efficient and and do you think it could ever get to that point? You mean like a Hyperloop? Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you, would, I would hope so. Um, even the Hyperloop thing, you know, I don't want to. I'll just say, let me just say that I will not. I would not want to be the first one to ride it. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, it's safe. It's, uh, it's all relative. Everything's moving at ninety miles per hour, whatever it is. <laughs> I guess, perhaps, you know, but. It's just one of those things where I, I I would like the technology to age a bit more before I go you know go all in on something like that. It's just there's just so much that could go wrong. <laughs> yeah, I totally feel you. I totally Freaks feel me you. Out. Yeah, true. Yeah. Good but stuff it, though. But but it's it's cool to see um, transportation actually you know uh, moving along, which like I say is great. Um, mm-hmm. So man, um, if I told you there was a new ESPN offering, would that like excite you? <laughs> It would actually, um, you know, just another way to cut the cord. I think that's a really exciting proposition there. And, and then at only $5, but of course there is a huge catch here. Uh, <laughs> ESPN's new subscription app will cost $5 a month. Uh, but you know, as this article states, uh, it will not be a big hit. And why won't it be a big hit? Because it's not going to have any of the crap that you like about ESPN. You know, to me, it's almost worse. And I'm not a huge ESPN watcher nowadays by any means. I used to be, you know, a huge sports, but it's like if you take all the things you love about ESPN, it's basically like an ESPN three, but worse is what I'm kind of yeah. getting from this offering. Uh, but yeah, it's just really weird. And I can see if they're going to, use this as use this as a first step but it's almost like what are you doing i don't know yeah i get that i get that as well um the way the announcement's worded or at least the the espn announcement um it's supposed to be supplemental but seeing as how you can't really get espn a la carte like that's what i was hoping this was but the more i read the more disappointed i was um yeah it's just not there yeah. <laughs> cool beans i don't know I, I, uh, this is the thing that gets me like, why, why would people pay $5 more for stuff that isn't good enough to air on ESPN? Like, why? <laughs> why? Exactly. 
I don't understand. I don't get it. Like, this don't make no sense. No, I, I, I totally agree with you on that, man. Just kind of a, um, again, like if they're setting up a, setting a base to do something greater down the line, you know, it could be okay, but you know, you gotta, you gotta, what you, as you say, throw them, throw them a bone. <laughs> Seriously, you, you, you gotta have something. Be like, this is an exclusive something we're launching with this and pay five. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> There's already too much ESPNs. Like, I don't need to pay five dollars for more. It's too much. <sighs> this oh. story was, if this story was on Facebook, I would totally downvote it if I could. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that takes us to our <laughs> next story to where, um, it is reported that Facebook is actually testing uh, a downvote button. Now, this is when I said downvote button. It's not for the average post. It seems like this is going to be more for, um, more in the vein of page posts and public posts. So it's going to be a little bit different from the standard um, upvote downvote button. But in that sense, I think they're going to be using this more so as for again they're beta testing it now. But they're going to be using it more so as um. A way to, um, weed out fake news in questionable stories. It's just like a user powered, uh, a la dig, a la reddit, uh, way of kind of policing some, um, some of the posts that, you know, may be questionable or just plain outright fake news. Yeah. I, I just don't know how effective something like this would be on Facebook because all their algorithms and crap that they, you know, use to serve you content. It basically already only sends you stuff that it knows you will like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> every now, every now and then you'll get something and you're like, what in the world? But for the most part, they've already tailor made the experience that everything that hits your feed is something you're going to like. I mean, you know, every now and then, you know, there might be something where you're like, Oh my God. And what do you do? You hide it and say, don't show it to me. Yeah. Like, I don't, I, I don't even see a need for this on Facebook. Maybe. But but you do no. get the bad story sometimes too. And you know, to me, I mean, personally, I think the big problem with Facebook is, is that I just want, and, and even Twitter, Twitter has botched this now. I mean, I may have said this before on the show, but I just want the old Facebook where they just show me everything from the people I follow or exactly. the pages I follow. Exactly. You know, there, there is so much stuff out there that is being presented on Facebook that you may never see. And by throwing the news feed out of the chronological order, you just kind of it, it makes it just a guessing game, which I know, yeah. like you said, they're attempting to algorithmically make it more suited for your taste, quote unquote. But still, I I don't know if I understand that. I don't like it, especially on Twitter. It makes zero sense on Twitter. It's gotten so bad on Facebook. They're like, I'm almost almost <laughs> willing to like if they had a five dollar option where it just threw everything from all of my <laughs> friends and all of my pages in chronological order, I would almost like happily pay $5 a month just for that because yeah. it's not really useful to me in its current form because yeah. I want to see what's happening, right? What are people talking about right now? Right now, not yeah. what the most popular thing was that people talked about or the thing that people paid the most for me to see. Like, I want to see, you know... And, and in some ways, Twitter has surpassed Facebook in that sense, is you know, because you see what people are talking about right now, you know, and that, that you used to have that on Facebook and you don't anymore. And it just it kind of well, sucks. Well, but even Twitter is not chronological anymore. But I think oh, it's not. It's not. It's not. Oh, wow. Well, but, never mind, but by that sense, I do. To your point, though, I do think they do a better job of surfacing more relevant stuff 
to me on Facebook, it still seems highly random. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so really I, I will give Twitter that. And then, then uh, also a comment Kyle makes in our chat room, which you can find at Facebook, Facebook.com slash tech edition, where, um, where he's saying, uh, we were talking about the digital subscription services, ESPN, uh, mainly, but he's just saying like, uh, you know, $5 here, $5 there, five, $5 somewhere else. Does it make it any cheaper? And I think I've talked, I talked about this on our grits call is that, you know, it's almost like it's digital service mayhem or <laughs> it is going to get to the point where you might as well be ha- have cable if you want to watch everything. Now for me, I don't want to watch everything. So it's totally fine for me because I'll just get the three things I want, pay about 30 bucks and I'm happy. But, you know, in the case of the people who have to have everything, you know, I think sports may be the biggest barrier to cross when you go to digital. Um, I'm certainly happy with with the few things I have and I can survive. But I again, people who love sports, it's, it's kind of a, a, a tough road <laughs> to try to get everything that you love. Yeah. And me personally, like. The way I see it is, and I was looking, actually looking at YouTube TV yesterday and the channel list, because my wife is like crazy reality show person <laughs> and my daughter needs Disney Junior and I just yeah. need some ESPN stuff to watch. And it's YouTube TV is 35 bucks a month and it has unlimited DVR. So um, I was taking a really, really hard look at that earlier. And I think that I might... Might might be trying that out once our um agreement with Uverse ends because uh-huh. I feel like we have a lot of channels now. To your point, that we just never even look at. If you turn, if you like, if I could stream one of our televisions, it's like either going to be on ESPN, Bravo, or Disney Channel. <laughs> like those are really the only three channels we watch. So yeah, um, yeah. Does- if, if I if I could do a service where I paid ten dollars for every channel that I was actually going to watch. You know, or if I could go straight to the provider, to your point, like, I think that would be more effective for most people. So so you're saying uh, I I did try the YouTube TV to actually watch the uh, Doctor Who Christmas special. (laughs) BBC America's on there. But but what what did you do? They have every channel you want. You say they have Bravo as well. Yeah. Um. See, that was my big thing. I was going to move us to um one of the other ones. I think it was Direct TV. Now, one of those. I um, tried that one too. <laughs> and I think the problem with that was I love the video quality, but the DVR just wasn't there yet. Yeah. And my wife just needs DVR because she we we were able to watch anything live. Yeah. Just because she likes to like fast forward through the commercials. Ah. And she don't like the way. So that would be huge for us. And you know, I'll, I'll give it a look. I haven't. What did you think of it? Like, did you try the DVR or anything? Um, the, the DVR worked. I think it always come to the point of nuanced things that makes one a little bit worse than the other. Uh, my big thing with the YouTube TV one is you can record a program, but you it, it, it isn't smart enough to only record future episodes, which if they're storing it all in the cloud, I guess it doesn't matter. Uh but I I think it should be nuanced to say, just give me future episodes. I don't want to get, you know, uh, episodes. Oh, it does everything? <laughs> yeah, it does everything for that program on that channel. Oh, uh, man. And especially wow. in the case with BBC America, when they play Doctor Who marathons, you know, probably once a week, uh, yeah. <laughs> your, your, your DVR is going to fill up, which again, it is cloud based. So I don't even really know if it matters or if, if YouTube TV even has a limit. But I will say the video quality was excellent. The app was oh, pretty really? good. And they do have apps on pretty much every platform, um, with the exception of Amazon. So, okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll check that out, man. Sounds interesting. 
I was more worried about the quality, video quality, than anything else. Because this is one thing I will say about uh, UVerse and DirecTV is they have excellent video quality. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't crazy about Google's television service, but <clears throat> definitely give YouTube TV a try. Cool beans, cool beans. <laughs> uh, so I guess I will take the next one. So um, starting in, let me get this right. Starting in June, I won't, no July of this year. Google will be actually, um, okay, well, let me try to explain a little bit further. So, you know, when you go in your browser and it's an HTTPS site and it puts, gives you like the green marker and says secure beside it. Uh, if, if it's, if it's an HTTPS site and the certificate is valid, it gives you that. So now in, now in, if you go to a HTTP site, a non-secure site, It'll just put up this circle with an eye on it for information. And you click on it and it'll tell you, okay, this is not a secure site. Just meaning it's not a site with a, that's HTTPS and has a valid security certificate. So starting in July, any site that is not HTTPS, they will be explicitly putting a not secure, uh, wording up there in the top of your browser bar. Um, which, you know, Ultimately, I like the move to go HTTPS. It's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to to make web, the web more secure. But by the same token, is Joe Smo with a WordPress site that he just hosts his blog on going to really go for an HTTPS site? Eh, probably not. Yeah. My whole thing about this is <clears throat> this actually affected, you know, a lot of companies because, um, if you, you know, if you don't have an HTTPS site, you're pretty much forced to buy a security cert because, you know, you may yeah. not have anything to where you needed HTTPS. You know, you could have just been serving static content with no logins or no, you know, CDI, you know, cardholder data or anything like that. So you may not need, you may not need HTTPS. Yeah. You may not need anything encrypted. So the thing I don't like about this is that it's pretty much forcing everybody to, um, do HTTPS because I mean even some of my favorite sites now they have the eye and it's like this site isn't secure and it yeah. I don't know to me it just seems to me it seems a bit overbearing um because this is whole this is a whole nuanced thing right so like I was saying earlier if you have logins or if you're taking people's card numbers or if you know you are um you know you're you're a healthcare site and people yeah. log into the site to like get their insurance information or something then yeah. You know, you need HTTPS and there's really no you exception know. really in that case. Exactly. But if you're just, like you said, judgment with a blog, you don't really <laughs> need, you don't really need to pay $90 a year for a security cert. You just don't. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of dumb, but you know, I mean, it's an effort in, in a collective effort, I guess, by the browser and maybe even the web consortium to make the web a little bit more secure, which I do get, um, but, you know, I, I think I even remember at some point that Google was, um, lower giving sites that didn't have HTTPS lower rankings. I don't, I don't oh, know if that's yeah. still true, wow. but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess it's necessary, but like you said, um, you know, everybody doesn't need it. <laughs> <sighs> that's, nah, I just, I don't like this, but you know, Google pretty much controls the internet right now. So <laughs> the Google net. So let it be done. Google. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, yeah, I, I had come up with a really good. Um, oh, OK. This is what I was going to say. So I know some of the more savvy of our users might be saying right now. Hey, Carrie, um, there's this site or this service called Let's Encrypt where you can get SSL search for free. And to that, I would say do not use Let's Encrypt. And this is why. Interesting. Interesting. 
yes, you can get a free SSL cert, but um, the problem with it is a lot of nefarious um, sites and nefarious um, people use less encrypt to do nefarious things. So while the cert may be, you know, it, it may be recognized now, but there's really nothing to stop somebody from, you know, or from Chrome or from Google saying, hey, we're getting a lot of malicious activity from let's encrypt, you know, uh, signed certificates. So we're going to disallow them all. Well, yeah, there's that. And yeah. there's also the fact that you don't really want to associate your business or your site with a certificate authority that's, you know, known for doing shady <laughs> stuff. So, yeah. And, and and to be fair, it's not less encrypt that's doing the shady stuff. It's people using the surface. So, yeah, just something to think about, I guess. Well, um, <clears throat> moving on from security to less, um, well, I guess let's just stay on security for a second. Um, so security? you may know, <laughs> you may know the Winter Olympics. Op- oh, excuse me. The Winter Olympics opened, um, the previous week. And, um, it appears that the hackers have been out in full force because there was a cyber attack on the Olympics. What? <laughs> what? 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 Huh? How- the Olympics are in Pyeongchang, um, South Korea. And, <clears throat> television internet access was affected and um the actual olympic site went down so people weren't able to print out tickets to attend <laughs> the olympics what um and it, it looks like the issues have been resolved but um <clears throat> they would not reveal the source of attack being in south korea this tells me one of two things <laughs> One, it was either North Korea or two, Russia's salty about not being able to be in Olympics because they were doping. Yeah. And they're doing it. So, yeah. I don't know. Just a fun aside there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> my, my, th- my thing is like, I don't get why, why you, if you're doing something as important as running the Olympics, why not have an air gap there for like the critical like the critical, critical services, systems. yeah. You know, so like if you're if you're if you have a POS system printing out tickets for people to get into the Olympics, why not? Why do you have that connected to the the internet? Like why? Well, I mean, it's it's it, it everything is connected though when you really think about it. I, I do agree with you on the ad gap part, but I mean, how do you do it when it ultimately still has connect to the same system when half the people are buying the tickets online and some of them are buying them in person? <sighs> Yeah, uh, it, it has to ultimately connect somewhere. And if there's a vulnerability somewhere in that chain, um, you know, it's still potential uh, to, to be taken down, which uh, I'm pretty sure it can be done. But but yeah, yeah, even um, with the air gap, people can use pineapples and stuff to get in. So, I mean, that's not really neither here nor there. So, yeah, you're right. Hackers be hacking. Yes, they be. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I posted this story about um, Microsoft giving away cl- free cloud storage. But that's not really the part that I wanted to like um, talk about. But I'll hit on it real quick. So basically, if you're if you're a business and you're using Dropbox or Google Storage or Box, um, Microsoft will pay you. Well, not pay you, but they will give you free OneDrive for business until your current contract expires. Um, so hmm. just eh, eh, eh. I don't know. I mean, um, but th- there was a thing in recent years where. Um Microsoft was giving away free OneDrive to, it was more at a personal level. They were like giving away free one gig or X amount with, uh, I think it was 100 gigs. If you like bought a copy of Windows or, or maybe it was Office. It was something I can't remember exactly. But was it Windows Phone they were giving away? Yeah, yeah, it was Windows Phones too. Like they had partnered with a bunch of people the where they were giving away storage. And I'll just say like personally, from my point of view, like 
it's a limited time offer. So this is the ultimate. Um, I'm going to give you a taste to get you in and, you know, then make you pay for it, which is logical. But I'm going to say it, it did, it did kind of happen to me where I had a bunch of stuff in OneDrive and then my time ran out for the free part. And I had like, oh, I need to cut this down so I won't get charged, or, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's cool that they're providing it. But again, it's they don't, they're not going to do anything like this for unless they have a specific reason and reason being, of course. Uh, they want you to drop all these other Dropbox box and Google platforms to, to, to ride their wave. And it's just one of those things where like it, depending on your situation, like this may or may not make sense. Like if you don't have that much data stored in Google drive or something, yeah, maybe, but if you're like me and you got like, like, you know, 20 to 30 gigabytes of stuff stored in Google drive, I'm not going to like download all that and then send it to Microsoft or I, maybe they have some kind of plugin where you can transfer it, but it yeah. just seems like it's more trouble than it's worth to me. Um, considering that how cheap all these services are, I mean, you can get, you can get 10 terabytes of, of data in Google drive for like 99 bucks a month. Yeah. So it's like, is it, is it really that much cheaper? It's definitely not that much better. Cause I mean, this to me, it, cloud storage right now is a commodity. Like, I mean, if you're dealing with one of the big guys, you know, like Alphabet or Microsoft or Dropbox or even Box, which I use to share me and some of my friends that do like musical remixes. We use Box and Dropbox all the time to share stems if we're working on a song together. Um, it's just there's not really a huge incentive to, to move. I don't think. Yeah, yeah I mean, but I'm, I'm out from trying, though, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's always what's going to make this next service better. And I talk about this a lot to people I know about different things, whether it be storage or whatever. Like if you're going to get me to stop using the thing I'm using, you know, you have better. to show me something that's considerably, not just better, considerably better than what I'm doing to, uh, to, to offset the hassle of moving from one service to the other. I mean, whether it be service or whether it be hardware, you know, it has to be something that is a significant difference. Uh, unless you're just, you know, one of the people like us that just like to try everything. So, mm. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> the second part of this, this article that I posted to kind of get to the, the meat of why, why I wanted to share it is because according to Cisco's global cloud index, um, the growth of IoT and data center demands, um, they're saying by 2021, IoT connections are expected to reach 1.7, I mean, 13.7 billion. And that, yeah. um, in three years, cloud computing will virtually replace data centers. And I, I, I don't agree with this at all. Um, because cloud computing is expensive in a lot of cases, it's more expensive than buying a server, putting it in a data center and paying for it to be there. Like in some cases it's significantly expensive. And this is what I do for like mm. a living. So I look at these numbers all day. Like we, like my company spends thousands of dollars and we don't have like, like tens of thousands of dollars for like um AWS to put stuff there and it's not even like a a third of our stuff like it's it's so cost prohibitive prohibitive right now to me cloud computing is where virtualization was about 10 years ago yeah it's the cool new thing but it just it doesn't make fun. if you have a bunch of servers it just didn't make sense to throw all that away and spend all this money to virtualize it when you know the stuff you have works just fine so i don't know what do you think? And well, I'm trying to, I guess I'm asking for a little clarification for me being a little non, uh, server network guy. So, so when you say cloud computing, are we, are we saying more so, um, 
uh, things like Azure or AWS versus having your own physical machine or your physical virtualized uh, machine set stored in the data center? Are you talking about putting it into a larger service when you say cloud computing? So when I say cloud computing, what I'm what I'm referring to is, <clears throat> excuse me, Google Cloud, AWS, okay, big boys. Azure, the big boys. I'm sure there's some other one. I think um there's uh OpenStack, but who crap uses OpenStack? <laughs> I don't know anybody who actually uses that. Um, that's by Rackspace. I think created that. But um, <clears throat> but yeah, Cisco saying that that well, cloud computing is going to replace all of it. I just I don't see it unless unless it gets a lot cheaper. I don't see yeah. it. But I mean, if you look at it from another sense, you're, um, you want scalability, you want, um, replication across not only country, but, you know, um, across continent or, or overseas or whatever. So I can see in some cases, you know, I don't see where it will be more cost effective, but I can see it be being more, um, I can see it being viable when you t- talking about a service such as IoT that's ingesting a bunch of data from different sources, and the main purpose is just to con- crunch and and um, display this data in in a format that's you know that can be used by the the end user. I can see that being worth it in some sense, but by the same token, I don't see it being <clears throat> cheaper. <laughs> Yeah, and to me, if you're a business, it's all about return on investment. Yeah. Like, if you have a bunch of users, I mean, not a bunch of users, if you have a bunch of um customers and, you know, you're able to justify going into the cloud and, you know, you're willing to take that hit on your bottom line, and if that makes you more likely to get more customers being in the cloud, then I see that. But um, for, for some services businesses, I just don't think it makes sense yeah. to go into the cloud because it's it's going to cost you more money than benefit that you will receive. So like, that's, that's my whole weirdness. I love cloud. I think it's great. And I think it's convenient and the redundancy and failover options are, are like endless. Yeah. Um, but it just, it, it comes down to money to me. I mean, that that's not the most important thing, but the reason I don't believe this is just because of how much it costs, I guess. Yeah. No, and I totally so I guess get that. It is about money. <laughs> I, I totally get that, man. That, that makes a lot of sense. So, cool. do we have anything else on the docket? Yeah, I think we knocked it out. Um, as far as stories, um, do you have any picks? Anything you want? Cool things you want to talk about? I posted too, but um, oh, if you have anyone you, you want to talk about too, man, what picks do I have? Uh, I'll let you go first while I think about it. <laughs> okay, cool. So, um, I have two picks. The first one is it looks like this company called sfp fsp which is a you know a pretty much a high-end power supply maker they have come out with a water-cooled power supply (laughs) what the what (laughs) it is called the hydro ptm plus and it is a modular power supply that actually will have a water cooling block or or cooling it is whoa 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 whoa, whoa. Uh, i'll just stop you right there uh i'm I'm gonna let you i know you're gonna go into a little bit more but to me, having water and electricity so closely interweaved is just a recipe for disaster. Um, what what makes this viable or even something that someone would want to do? Well, I mean, the cool thing is about this is that, you know, power supplies tend to get pretty hot. Good point. And um, the cool thing about this is that seeing it has, has a, it has a water block installed on it, you hook it up to your your loop. Um, and 
basically you have a completely silent power supply unless you're in high load. And then I think the fan kicks on and it's a, it's a quiet fan anyway. Um, but <clears throat> I think if it's as long as it's below 50 percent load, you get no noise from your power supply. If you have a you know, if you have a souped up water cool build and let's not let's not mince words here. Like water cooling is expensive. You know, you can spend as much on your water cooling loop as you do on the rest of the <laughs> stuff in your computer. Um, cause I wow. actually, actually, you know, I priced me doing a custom water cooling for my PC and it was going to cost me about seven or eight hundred dollars to get everything high end, top of the line, you know, with, um, non flexible tubes that you have to use a heat gun to kind of bend them. Wow. Um, it, it was going to be, it was going to be about seven, eight, eight hundred dollars. And, um, this thing is not cheap. It's 80 plus platinum, 1400 watts. And, you know, 1400 watt power supply is going to be 200, two or three hundred dollars, even if you get one that isn't water cool, because I think this is the only one it is. But this bad boy is 700 bucks. Um, so, you know, you got your RGB, you got your 80 plus platinum, 1400 watts and, you know, high quality Japanese components like, you know, this is. <clears throat> this would be a awesome power supply if it didn't have a water block in it. But, the, you know, this is definitely not for everybody. I'll, I guess I'll just go out and say this. But if you are looking for that, you know, that last piece to go into your water cooled, you know, <laughs> this would be it right here. Um, yeah, sweet. sweet. Got another $700 laying around that you're looking to do. Something yeah. With. There you go. <laughs> and, yeah I, I, yeah, I don't think you'll be overclocking your power supply. That's, yeah. <laughs> Somebody in the comments. Cool. Oh, funny. Well, I guess if I had a parting gift, I guess we probably talked about this already, but I'll say uh, if you have not watched the SpaceX launch of the Falcon Heavy, uh, do yourself a favor. Go watch it because, I mean, honestly, I'm not that huge of a space, uh, space person or NASA person. I mean, I love the sci-fi aspects, but I'm not. I say I love it, but I'm not just into the the whole inner workings of the NASA and the private space programs. I, I'm I guess I'm a light uh, interest in it. I do read the stories when they come out, but I'm not just seeking it out or whatever. But if even if you are not, do yourself a favor, spend ten minutes every time, ten to twelve minutes, and go watch the freaking launch of the 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 Falcon the Falcon Heavy because it's freaking phenomenal. And to top it all off, you get to see um, a Tesla in space. So hey, you can't you can't fret about that, can you? <laughs> and oh yeah. It, oh yeah, and um, and also uh, I'll just say um, the the uh, finale of s- the first season of Star Trek Discovery is actually coming out this evening. Uh, which if you're listening to this on a Monday, more than likely, uh, it was last night, but it's digital. So go and watch it. And if you haven't watched any of the new Star Trek, you can actually sign up for a seven day trial. The first season is over. Go watch it all. Binge it. Uh, thank me later. Uh, but don't don't fuss at me if you don't like it. Just a little bit. But uh, <laughs> but if you want to hear people talk about it as well, you can check us out. Me, Carrie, along with Kyle, Jonathan and Jeremy and sometimes Andy at stdpodcast.com to where we uh, dive into each episode. So it's a lot of fun. That's at stdpodcast.com. Cool. Yeah, um, definitely check out STD Podcast. And for my final pick, um, as you know, or you may or may not know, the um, SNES Classic was a big hit. Oh, yes. uh, it came out sometime last fall, winter, spring. No, fall. Fall or winter. Okay. Oh, yeah, I don't know why I said spring. But anyway, um, there's this company called Analog who just is about to release this competitor, if you will, to the SNES Classic called the Super NT. 
And this is a complete reimagining. Okay, so the the SNES Classic. I don't want to get too geeky here, but the SNES Classic is using it's using a ARM processor and it's using software emulation. Okay, so basically they have this piece of computer hardware that is given a software layer on top of it that runs um emulated games, you know, on non-native hardware. So basically, it's not a genuine SNES experience, if you will. Um, if we want to get, you know, in the splitting hairs, the super NT, the super NT basically is, it's pretty much a pseudo reproduction of the original SNES with 1080p resolution. It uses a field programmable gate array, which is basically a, I mean, the simplest way to explain FPGAs is that it is a, it is a generic CPU that somebody can put hardware instructions into to be a specialized cpu does that make sense yeah 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 totally so basically there you can basically for all intents and purposes rewire this generic chip to perform specific functions so basically what this company has done with this fpga processor is they have created a hardware snes this does not use software emulation at all um 1080p zero lag and basically it uses cartridges so you plug your actual SNES cartridge into this console and it will render it in 1080p glory with no lag. Um, and it is, there's some videos of it. It's it's pretty amazing what it does. Um, it basically brings the, the SNES into 2018 is basically what it's doing. Um, and you also get the eight bit dough wireless game pads, which also work with the SNES classic, but, um, digital foundry, um, they do a lot of like, hardcore hardware analysis and whatnot they actually have a review of this console um i'll see if i can find it and post it into post it in the notes but they go into painstaking nauseating detail (laughs) on what's so cool about this console um because i'm i'm not one to delve into a whole lot of technical jargon but trust me when i say if you are looking for the genuine high definition snes experience this is what you want. And um it's on pre-order right now. It's 189 bucks. Which which sounds like a lot. That's more we, than the regular SNES. Like I said, it sounds <laughs> like a lot, but the reason I the reason I don't think that's a bad price is because the software inferior SNES classic is eighty it's like yeah, 80, 90 bucks. Yeah, good point. And it's not know, expandable. So, and it's not expandable. You know, you get the games. Well, you can ha- you can hack it and put yeah. more games on it. So, but if if you have a bunch of SNES cartridges laying around, you're not plugging them into an SNES Classic. Yeah. This this is what you want. So right so is, so is this cartridge based only, or does it have any um, type of digital integration? I think that it has some kind of digital integration because there's one game. Um, what is the game called? It's Super Turrican. Uh-huh. Super Turrican. Um, they actually have a di- director's cut of it included with the console because. Their original, I think it was uh, Factor 5, the developers, back when they released the game in 93, the game that they made was too big to fit on the cartridge. Uh-huh. It was 6 meg, so they ended up having to cut it down to 4 meg megabits to actually get it on the cartridge. So they, this is actually something that you can't buy in a cartridge. It's, it's completely new. Well, not completely new, but it's like a director's cut of Super Turrican. And um, I think it has an SD card slot, I think. <laughs> Um, so you may or may not be able to use, um, oh no, no, it's just, it's just for firmware. So, yeah. you know, 
But, this well, is strictly strictly cartridges. Well, I will say about this whole because there's been a, been plenty of other companies that have done this in various forms. Like I think Hyperkin may be one of them. And oh no no no, Th- those are those are definitely inferior to this. Yes, those yes. are using software emulations. Um, they're using open open source software emulations. Yeah, they're, they're not anywhere near this. Yes, yes. Well, well, the only reason I brought those up because I was going to talk about the big gray area that's with these consoles and i don't even know if it's much if it is anymore is has like the 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 time passed where they can actually emulate this stuff or i mean is it was it all reverse engineering like how does it how is this even a viable thing to do and sell as an official product in a store and i've seen these in plenty of stores where it's it's undoubtedly a knockoff of the original but but i mean how how does how is that okay i don't explain well, to me that i think the reason these are okay and that the hyperkins are okay is because they aren't using any of any in nintendo's intellectual property they're not actually including any games on it it's actually just a piece of hardware that you can plug a cartridge into and i don't i don't know if any way that you know nintendo could sue or that they would even want to because you know it's it's yeah. not like they're. It's not like they're making a hardware reproduction of the Wii or the the Wii U or yeah, the Switch. Can. You know, it's an older console that you know they probably don't even really care that much about. It's definitely a gray area. I don't know the particulars there, but for some reason they haven't historically gone after people that do this. So well, I mean, to me, it's similar to it's just a hardware version of what you see in one of some of these software emulations that yep. that the software emulators I think have generally generally been they let them be be fine and let them exist on the server as long as they're not dumping the rooms out well yeah and the thing about well you bring up a good point there because i think the thing about emulators is that as long as they don't use any of the original tech as long as it's not pirated or you know they don't use any of the original software libraries if they can from the ground up reverse engineer snes and come up with their own solution for playing the games i don't think it's illegal yeah um but if they do um, cause I know with a lot of the PlayStation emulators, yeah. um, you used to need a, a BIOS, a PlayStation, you used to need a PlayStation BIOS to actually run the emulator. So what they would do was they would release the software package without the BIOS on their website and that's illegal. And then you would have to go find the BIOS somewhere else illegally to put into the emulator for it to run. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess, I guess that's kind of where it goes. Any, anybody remember Bleem out there? Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> Sony was so mad <laughs> back in the day, and it only cool. half worked. They eventually yeah. got it together at the end of it, but by that point, I was kind of uninterested in them in the uh, yeah the PlayStation <laughs> emulation things. It's true, but EPSXE is still holding it down. Oh, okay, still okay. works. Still works great. All right, if you haven't if you haven't tried that, is that just original PlayStation? Um, there's actually a PS2 emulator too. I can't remember the name. I think it's like PCSX2. Yeah, PCSX2. That's a PlayStation 2 emulator and it works. I basically, actually, cause I actually had gotten rid of my PlayStation 2 by the time Final Fantasy 12 came out. Uh huh. So I bought Final Fantasy 12, oh. the PlayStation 2 version, and I had played through the whole thing on an emulator. That's crazy. On my computer. Um, and you know, now that the Zodiac Age is out for PC, I'm going to play <laughs> through that. If, if you make it, they will come. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Cool beans, cool. man. Oh, I guess we're done, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I guess if you're watching yeah. this on Facebook, you already know how to catch us on Facebook. 
Uh, <laughs> it's facebook.com slash techpedition. Uh, techpedition on Twitter and all the other good stuff. And you can send us feedback at feedback at, no, I'm sorry, fans at techpedition.com. And yeah, yeah, subscribe. Yeah, we'll see you guys next week. Have a good one. All right, guys. I can't, I can't beat that. <laughs> I just smells burnt and dusty. Hey guys, don't miss an episode of the Techpedition podcast. For more information, go to techpedition.com slash subscribe. T-E-C-H-P-E-D-I-T-I-O-N dot com.